All right, good morning, everybody. Um, I know what a lot of you are thinking right now. You're going, this guy? Uh, <laughs> dolphins guy, right? Um, well, let me explain that, okay? So, uh, like Tony was saying, me and my wife, Jess, have been coming to Cornerstone for a little over five years. Um, we have two beautiful boys, Orion and Owen, that some of you may know from the nursery. Um, but prior to Cornerstone, what I did is I was part of a campus ministry at Ohio State, and I was on staff there, and I got to preach and teach and do some apologetic studies. Uh, so that's really where my background comes from. I, I graduated from Liberty University uh, with a degree in Bible. Um, and then what I did is I actually paired up with the SBC right after college. And what I got to do is I got to go around to the state of Ohio, just at all Baptist churches, and I would fill in on short notice. Okay, so what that means is like something usually pretty bad would happen, and I'd have to fill in like within a day's notice. So that's where I got a lot of experience preaching. So I've been doing that for about eight years now. Um, but the really interesting part is like actually my connection to Cornerstone. It goes back a lot further than that. Uh, so when I was in college, I became a believer probably after my second year of college. And what I'll never forget is I received this email that, that changed my life, okay? And to give you a little background of the email, so it came from a person who, I don't want to talk ill of this person, but they were a little strange, okay? And if you work in college ministry, uh, you, you know these people exist. Uh, they, are, they are around. They, they say some outlandish things sometimes. Uh, this guy always suggested that we march around buildings seven times and, and blow a shofar horn. Uh, he was one of those people, okay? And I got this email from him that, like I said, I'll never forget, changed my life. And it simply said, dude, comma, I, know, I, I found a guy who actually knows God. And then he had a link. And you have to click that link when you get that email, right? You got to click that link. So I clicked it, and thankfully it took me to a sermon by a guy by the name of Francis Chan, who at the time was unknown. He was a pastor in Simi Valley, California, and a church called Cornerstone. And I, it's about 05. So from that point on, I started listening to sermons every week. I was there refreshing my iTunes library every Sunday, trying to get a new sermon from Francis, and then I heard a message from Tony Hall, who was there talking about how he planted a church in Columbus. And that really started kind of my connection, because actually through a mutual friend, I got to come out to Cornerstone and meet some people. Uh, my first week there, I met a guy named Corey, um, who I got to pray with about a potential mission trip or a trip that he was thinking about going on to serve overseas. Um, and so I, I felt this connection with Cornerstone from that moment, okay? And then when it came time for me to leave college ministry, basically what happens is you get too old, and they kick you out. Okay, and they don't. Uh, it was just me and my wife. We, we had kids, and it's just difficult in a college ministry with kids. So when we decided to move, we, we had one place in mind, and that was Cornerstone. Um, and come to find out, our neighbors across the street from us were the McCombs. So just a lot of connections there. So I say all of that just to let you know that, I, I, like I said, I felt a connection with this church. So I am honored and extremely grateful to get to speak today. Um, like I said, we've been apart for five years. I'm just glad to get to use this gift. And like I said, you guys have been there for us as a family through some really difficult times in our life. So first, thank you for that, for being believers and being a family to us. But like I said, it's an honor for me to get to share in the building up of this church today. So with that in mind, if you would please stand and turn to Colossians chapter 3 as we go through it. We're going to be doing this verses 5 through 8, so 
Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality and purity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all the way. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So let's pray. Father, um, thank you so much for the opportunity to get to read your word and to get to study it, and uh, I pray that you would use me to teach it and that people would, would listen, that they would have ears to hear and that you would be speaking to them something that they need to hear, Father. And so I just praise you for this opportunity. And like I said, I pray that I would be clear and that this message would come across. So praise you, and we thank you, and we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So going on two weeks ago now, because of the snow apocalypse that we had, uh, Tony had talked about how Colossians 3 takes a turn in the book where Paul starts to talk about a more practical teaching. Now, he does that frequently in his books, but uh, here he... he uh, Tony reminded us that Paul is encouraging us to become in practice who we actually are in reality and in position. Uh, this practice of becoming more and more like Jesus is what we call sanctification within the church. Uh, John Piper, when he's talking about sanctification, he describes it this way. He says, it's gradually becoming like Jesus or becoming holy, becoming conformed to the image of Christ little by little over time from conversion till, the, the, um, till Jesus comes back or you die you are in the process of sanctification, becoming sanctified, becoming holy. So the rest of the book of Colossians is this. It is a call to holiness from Paul, and he's going to give us some specific advice. So that's where we start in verse 5, and he tells us to put to death what is earthly in you. So Paul takes, prior to this, we were talking about this glorious reality of who we are in Jesus that when he appears, we will also appear with him. And then Paul takes this dramatic turn, put to death what is earthly in you. He's getting very serious here. Why is he calling us to put to death these things? Well, first, we have died. We, were, we are now dead to our past life, and we are now alive with Jesus, or in Christ here. Uh, you are no longer earthly, but you're now a part of a new kingdom with a new ruler and new expectations. So he's calling us to put these things to death. Um, because we've died, this is a glorious truth, we can actually put to death sinful practices. So if you read in Romans 6.10, uh, Paul tells us again that uh, for the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives to God. So you all also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ in God. So this glorious truth is that we can actually put to death sinful things. We're no longer slaves to sin we have the option of putting these things to death through Christ. Um, now, what's also interesting about this verse, put to death, therefore, if you have a Bible that has, like, notes at the bottom, it says that the Greek actually states this. It says, put to death, therefore, your members that are on the earth. That's the original Greek there. Um, and what's, what's interesting about that is I get the picture of, of Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, that's the same Greek word there, than that your whole body go into hell. So what Jesus does there is he tells us to get serious about sin and fighting it. And that's exactly what Paul is telling us here as well. Now, after this statement, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Paul goes on to tell us what these earthly desires might be. And the first thing he lists is sexual morality. Okay? It's an extensive list here. There's five things that he lists. First thing, sexual morality. 
It's the Greek word for porneia. That's where we get our word for porn. Same Greek word there. Um, and what that term is, is actually, the way I've heard it described to me is, it's a junk drawer term. So think about your junk drawer at home, it just is filled with all kinds of stuff. That's exactly what this word is. It, is, it includes a ton of things, okay? Um, some of the things that the Bible uses this word for is any type of perversion or sexual activity outside of marriage, adultery, forn- fornication, homosexuality, sex with relatives, div- sex with vor- divorced men and women, and even animals. So that's just a few of the things the Bible lists as part of this sin of sexual morality. Um, like I said, there's, there's about a million ways a sermon can go just with that statement, uh, but I'm not going to go, I'm just, this is about us and our fight against sin, so I'm going to stay focused here and just go through the words, okay? The next one he mentions is impurity, and this is also associated with sexual sin. It's used six other times in the scriptures, and it's often used with sexual sin. Um, now, Jesus used this same word, and, uh, and this is very interesting how he used it. So in Matthew 23, verse 27, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So this word can also use uncleanliness, but the, the thing I love about that verse is Jesus is, is relating this to dead people. This type of thing should not be spoken among you because you're alive. So there's a contrast there. Impurity is associated with dead things, but here we are called to be um, pure and holy. Um, also in, in Romans 1.24, uh, this word is used to describe sexual morality. And then in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, same word, um, for God has not called us for impurity but holiness. Paul, again, is getting putting this message to us about this, this call to holiness. Third word mentioned, passion. This is not the passion of like, oh, I'm passionate about helping people or animals, anything like that. No, no, no. It is a passion that is, again, used specifically for sexual sin. Okay? It's that fire that burns towards sexual sin. That's why romance novels have fire in the background, those type of things. Right? That, that's what this is talking about. Again, in the Greek, it's only used three times, and all three times it's in reference to uh, sexual immorality. First Thessalonians 4, the entire 3 through 5 here. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, there's that word, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So again, there's Paul again addressing this separate letter. Um, Next thing, evil desire. I don't feel like I have to expound much on this. Um, I feel like we all know what, what evil desire is. Uh, if you want an example, Jesus in John 8, 44, he says this, you are of your father, the devil, and he's talking to the Pharisees, who this entire time are trying to kill him, put him to death, murder God, is what they're trying to do. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. There's what Jesus describes as evil desire, like Satan. Um, So, next verse, covetousness. Um, This, Paul goes on to say, which is idolatry. Covetousness is really greed when it's used in the Bible. Um, 
There's this greed. It's the essence of idolatry is the desire to get. So you pray to an idol to get something for yourself, to get a selfish desire, okay? That's why people pray to idols, and, and that's why Paul says covet, when you covet something, when you want it so bad, that's why it's idolatry, because you're trying to get something for yourself here. And idolatry is an attempt to use God for man's purposes rather than to give oneself to God's purposes. That's ultimately what it is. It's not a desire to give, it's a desire to get. And so Paul is listing out these things that we should put to death because they are hindering us from walking with Jesus, okay? We are called to holiness now. And Paul is just calling out specific sins that new believers in particular, and even sometimes, you know, existing believers struggle with. Um, And now we are called to be slaves to righteousness. And if you think about it this way, a slave has a master, So therefore, we're still called to be under authority, but this time it's the authority of Jesus, and we are pursuing that holiness. Now, he goes on to list these things in verse 5, and then verse 6 again, he takes a little turn and kind of tells us why it's important to put to death these desires. It's important to put these, because on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, when you look at the context of the, of the letter to the Colossian church here, the context is this. He, Paul never visited this church, okay? He founded the church in Ephesus, and Colossae is a hundred miles inland, if you're looking at Turkey there. Um, and what he did is he, he's writing to them while he's in prison, and he is encouraging believers to not be swayed by the cultural push to abandon the teachings of Jesus, So he lists these sins and these things that we're to put to death, and he's saying on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You can be sure that the wrath of God is coming as a result of these sins. It's mirrored with Ephesians 3, or Ephesians 5, I'm sorry. Like I said, the reason for that is that Ephesus is very close to the church of Colossae, and so Paul is writing and and telling them the same things because they're in the same exact culture. Okay, 100 miles is nothing. That's here to Cincinnati, so just imagine that. So he's writing in Ephesians 5, almost the same exact thing. It's mirrored here. Ephesians 5, 5 through 6. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, and an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So again, he is reminding that church, just like he's reminding this church, that the wrath of God is coming as a result of these things. So, same group of people influenced by the same culture, and when I look at that, I think, is this something that our culture struggles with? I think the answer is yes. I think this is one of the times that when Scripture is directly talking to a specific church at a specific time, that we can actually relate to it. So our culture does the same exact thing. It promotes sexual morality, and it says God's wrath is not coming because of those things, specifically. God will not judge people for these sins. God loves people for these sins. And that is not what Paul Paul is, again, encouraging us to be sure that the wrath of God is coming on account of these. An interesting verse is uh, John 3, 36. So, obviously, everybody knows John 3, 16, but then the next part of the book, or the chapter... It's John the Baptist talking, and he's, he's basically proclaiming Jesus as the Christ. 
And he goes on to say, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So John the Baptist at the beginning when Jesus is coming into his ministry is proclaiming this message of God's wrath is coming. Uh, What's interesting about this verse, what I love about this verse, is that look at what John does as far as belief and then as far as obedience. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. It's about faith, right? If you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. You have that faith. But then he turns around and says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. Because if you are not a believer, if you do not follow Jesus, it becomes about obedience to a law. Okay? Because one way or another, God's wrath will be poured out. It's either poured out on Jesus at the cross, or it is poured out on you because you cannot meet this perfect uh, set of laws that God has put in place. So John the Baptist, he understood that, and that's why he contrasts it and says, if you don't obey the Son, you will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on you. So as believers, we need to be encouraged by this, that the wrath of God is not on us because it has been poured out on Jesus, okay? But for non-believers, that is coming. It comes in two forms, like I said, the condemnation of Jesus or the wrath against immoral people. So sometimes when we're talking with non-believers in particular or when we're talking with family, we shy away from God's wrath. Okay, and I think we do that for a couple reasons. Uh, it, number one, it's, it's a little difficult to, to, to be encouraging when you're talking about God's wrath, and you do not become the life of the party talking about that, um, and you don't gain a lot of friends talking about the wrath of God. Uh, but I, I'm encouraging us to not shy away from that teaching, and I use one important reference, and that is the book of Jonah, if you remember. Uh, the book of Jonah, it's about this actually bad prophet who was running away from God, and, you know, through this amazing story of bringing him to repentance and throws him out on the shore through the belly of the fish, he then preaches a message, and it's the shortest sermon of all time, and it's purely about wrath. It says, 40 days, and yet Nineveh will be destroyed. That's all he says. And this city of Nineveh, millions of people at the time, repents after that teaching. And I believe the reason for that is that it was what God's message was. They, they needed to hear that message, and sometimes people need to hear that God's wrath is coming. It's not okay, the things that we do sometimes. And, and we can't be afraid to talk about it because it's the truth. And Paul here, in six separate times in his letters, he talks about the wrath of God coming on the sexually immoral and all these other type of sins. And so we can't shy away from that because we're afraid We must be encouraged and strengthened that it is true and that God wants us to proclaim that message at times. Um, So, verse 7, as we move along here. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. What what this verse does is it kind of sets a foundation for every single person here. You can relate to everyone because you once walked in sin. Okay? You were once there. And Paul is reminding us, and again, based on their cultural history, Paul is assuming that these people have dealt with these sexual sins. So I'm also going to assume that we as a culture deal with these sexual sins as well, um, and especially the sin of idolatry. So Paul, again, is is creating that foundation. And, And what it does is it creates common ground and compassion for people. 
So we have struggled with sin, and we have been rescued from that, and we need to have compassion on others struggling with sin, knowing that God can bring them to repentance the same way. Personally, this verse, I have a photo here, and it's going to be funny. You guys can laugh. It's okay. Um, so this is me in high school. This is 17-year-old me. Uh, I'm here on the far left. Check out the throwback, bro. Okay. Um, that's me. What I would say to that kid. It's crazy. 17-year-old uh, me, that, that is a senior superlative in your yearbooks. You know, you get voted on things. I was not expecting to win anything but best looking, but I didn't, you know. It's all right. It's all right. Um, this was most likely to be late to your own wedding. It's very weird. Uh, to be fair, I was a little late to my wedding. It's, it's impossible to be fully late to your wedding because you're there seven hours early, but I did forget to pick something up and I had to go get it. So maybe that's true, okay? What this meant was that I had the most tardies in the school. It wasn't even close. I had a lot of tardies. Um, I would often skip my first period class. It was bad. Not a good student, okay? But what's interesting, and, and that's, this is how I tie it in here, the reason why I was late, okay? It's going to get serious here. I was struggling with a pornography addiction. So what happened was I would stay up too late. And at that time, this was pre-internet, okay? So there were two ways to get pornography. It was magazines or going to a store to buy it, which I wasn't old enough. And then there was movie channels, where at night they would play pornography at like 2 AM. So I was struggling with that addiction in high school, stay up way too late, and then I couldn't get to school. So nobody knew, just something that I was struggling with. And like I said, what's, what's telling about that is that you see the impact of that in my life. Failed a lot of classes, couldn't play sports because I failed those classes. So it really had an impact on my life. So when I read this, in these you two once walked when you were living in them, I completely relate to this. So I don't know if anybody else in the room relates to that, but I want you to know that you have an ally in that fight against this sin, especially with pornography. And I, I want you to fight alongside of me against this. And so I want you to know that you're not alone in that struggle. Okay? So, like I said, that, that picture is funny. You can laugh at that. But it also, to me, speaks volumes to, to the impact of sin in someone's life. So, Let us never forget that, that we as believers have been rescued from sin in the same way. A verse for that is 1 Corinthians 6, 9. So, Paul says... Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor the revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is the important verse, verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Never forget that truth. That's who we are now as believers. We have been washed. We have been cleansed. And now we get to walk in this new life by the Spirit of God. Verse 8 then. So I talk about sexual sin or covetousness, idolatry. Maybe you're like, okay, that's great, but I didn't really struggle with those. First of all, praise God if you did not struggle with those things. You need to praise God every day that you don't struggle with those things in this world. But Paul addresses you, okay? He says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth, okay? You've cleared the immorality hurdle in your life, 
okay? But now it's time to address the spillover that is coming from your mouth, our mouths. That's what Paul is doing, okay? So if, if you look at anger and wrath, okay, those two in particular, those are actually characteristics of God sometimes. He, he gets angry and he gets wrathful, clearly. Um, but God is slow to anger, and his wrath is perfect and holy, because all sin is against him. So he has the right to judge people and pour out his wrath. But we are called to be slow to anger and let God handle the wrath, okay? But I don't know if you've sat in this room and sometimes we like to pour out wrath on others, especially in our minds, especially when it comes to sexual immorality. And that is a struggle for for many people where we want to pour out our own wrath against those people. And Paul is saying, you've got to put that away. That is not yours to have. And so we need to be slow to anger and let God handle the vengeance of wrath. Malice, this was an interesting word. Um, it's actually used as the desire to injure. And again, I think this is more about your thoughts. In this church, I don't think we have people that go around injuring people, um, but this is a, it's the desire to injure or to see harm on people. And again, I think this comes when we, we, we talk about and we envision God's wrath being poured out on others. It's this desire to see that happen, and I do not believe that's our desire to have. You want to see repentance. Think back to the story of Jonah. Can you imagine if Jonah believed God the first time and the joy he would have had when he proclaimed that message of wrath? And they repented. That's the goal. People to come to Jesus. But Jonah, if you remember in the story, he was angry. It's one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. He proclaims this message, it works, people repent, the entire city repents, and he was angry about it. And he goes out to the city to see it be destroyed, because that's what he wanted. He wanted to see people destroyed. And that is not our heart as believers. We want to see people saved. We want to see people repent of their sin, and Paul is reminding us of that. In 1 Corinthians 5.8, he says, uh, this is a really interesting thing about He's actually contrasting like a festival about this unleavened bread. And he, think of this this way. So the, the bread represents your body. And he talks about leaven. And he says, leaven represents sin. Okay, and he says this, cleanse out the old leaven, sin, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What Paul does there is he contrasts those two things and he gives us the answer to what malice means. Malice is the opposite of sincerity. Okay? You need to be sincere in what you're speaking to other people. And that's why I mentioned the idea of wrath. Do you want to see people destroyed or do you want to be sincere and see them repent? That's what Paul is calling us to do. And then he goes on to say obscene talk. From your mouth. This one was a, a word that is only used here in the Bible. Very difficult to find references here. I, I kind of made up something that I thought of, and it was, imagine you're watching Netflix, and you're watching that comedy special, and the comedian says something that makes you cringe. That's obscene talk. What they're doing, what you cringe at, where you're like, oh, I shouldn't be watching this. That's obscene talk, what they're doing. And so, for us, again, I don't think that's a struggle for people in this room. I've never heard obscene talk here, but it's probably more about what you're taking in, what you're allowing to listen to, or, or maybe some music sometimes. Again, my, 
think back to 17-year-old me, it was just hip-hop music all the time, and it was just filthy lyrics. And that is still in my brain. Matter of fact, as I was preparing the sermon, a lyric popped into my head, and I was like, where did that come from? Because it was stuck in there from years of listening to it, and I thought about obscene talk with that. So Paul is calling us to, to, to put that away as well. So these verses are really interesting here. In, in the first part, verse 5, it's really about your desire inwardly, like a sexual desire and, and the thoughts of your heart. And then the second half is really about and the external things that we're saying and doing. Um, so Paul is calling us to put those things away. Um, so this was pretty quick in closing. Okay, um, giving you guys some time back to go out and eat lunch and things like that. Um, in closing, what do I want you to take away from these verses? Okay, number one, as believers, this is a call to holiness. Okay, we, like I said earlier, have now been transferred to a kingdom of light with a new ruler who has these new expectations for our life, and those expectations he lived and we get to partake in now. And this is a call to holiness. We can put to death that sin issue that you are struggling with. That is a hope. That is a promise. You can do this. You can fight against it now. You are not a slave to that sin issue. You can put it to death. And Paul is encouraging us of that. Third thing I want from this is, I want our church body to be a place where we can fight and pursue holiness together. There is so much shame that comes with these sins. I realize that. But I want this to be a place where we can fight these things together. They are not good. The wrath of God is coming because of those things. You will always hear that truth here. But we need to be able to confess these things to one another and fight them together. And that's what I want from this church here as a family. We have all walked in this, so let's not be afraid to confess that to one another. So, as the band comes up, okay, as we finish up here, we're going to go into a time of communion where we get to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And, and there's a verse I want to read, actually back in Colossians 1. Okay. Colossians 1, he says, in 1, 21, sorry, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach from him. So as the, the bread and the juice comes by, I want you to consider those things, that, that you who were dead have now been made alive in Christ. If you have to repent of any sin, that is the time to do it. But it's also a time to reflect and to worship what Jesus has done for us. Okay? He has made us alive, and we can now walk in him. So let me pray for us. Uh, Father, praise you, I said for your word, praise you that um, you have died for us, Jesus. You have given us new life, and we get to worship you freely from sin, and we get to experience your truth, Father. So I praise you for that. I pray that as we take this communion that we do not take it um, lightly, Father, that we're serious with it and that we recognize the sacrifice, that we rejoice in that sacrifice for us. And I pray that you continue to speak to us as we go on throughout the week. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.